0: Worship the Lord with gladness, come into God's presence with singing, enter into God's courts with praise. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord, that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in God's name. For the Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. My my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. O oh God, you alone are who you are. You are unique. You make an agreement, a covenant with us. You alone love us and care for us. You alone call us to walk with you. Help us today to see that you are here. Help us today to learn more from you. Help us today to follow you alone. Change our hearts and minds so we might really be your specially called people. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
0: grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered in the sanctuary as well as everyone worshipping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord and because it is in God's house that we have met, that means that our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives ever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house and so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would be so kind as to sign the Friendship Pad. When you've signed it, send it down the pew and back again, and that will give us the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service, that we might address one another by name. And also, if you're the last person to handle it, do our ushers a favor and tear off that top page and leave it on top of the, uh, the Friendship Pad on the pew. They will thank you forever because it makes their job so much easier. We'd also be delighted if everyone would join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall where you will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments and again, most importantly, the opportunity to speak with one another and engage together in our common life. Old Buttonwood Hall is just out this door to my right down a very short ramp and there you will find the opportunity to gather in fellowship. I'd like to highlight a few things for your particular attention out of the bulletin this morning and a few things that are not in the bulletin that might be relevant for your attention. The first is to say, if you are interested in accompanying the choir, and I don't mean accompanying on musical instruments, I mean going with the choir on their tour to the United Kingdom, to London, Glasgow, and Edinburgh this summer, Andrew needs to hear from you today. 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 It is the deadline is upon us for making that decision to go with them. The second thing that's not in your bulletin is it is that time of year when we will begin thinking about scheduling our next new members class, and we want those of you who are interested in joining the church to be a part of that scheduling process so that we can accommodate as many people as possible. So if you have interest in joining the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, whether you've been with us a few weeks or a few years, just reach out to me through the church office. You can email me directly in my office and let me know of your interest so that I may include you on that list as we get to scheduling. You will see a notice in your bulletin that Zia, which is one of our mission partners that provides meals for elementary school children on the weekends, Zia is in need of your paper shopping bags and there are receptacles in the narthex and in the 21st Street entrance to allow you to bring those paper shopping bags to benefit Zia here. And if like me, you perpetually forget your paper shopping bags, go ahead and move them to the car this afternoon so they'll be there for you next Sunday morning. I'd also like to highlight that we have an upcoming adult education two-week series, two lecture-based classes, that will take place immediately after this service. And by immediately, I mean you can go to coffee hour and get a cup of coffee and a cookie, but then go up to the McCall room where we have a, I hope, a very interesting series. Uh, The Reverend Ken Ross, will speak about the progression of American Presbyterianism with a particular eye for First Church in our first lecture. And then in the second lecture, which will be February 5th, I will speak more generally about the progression of American Christianity and how that affects where we are now and perhaps even where we are going as a Christian church in the 21st century. Have I missed anything? I don't think I have, which brings us to our minute for volunteering, Michael Smith and Heidi Artigue.
2: Heidi and I bring you greetings from the deacons of the First Presbyterian Church. And our mission today is to tell you that we welcome you as well. Uh, you hear from Reverend Mullis that you are all welcome here, but part of that welcoming is what happens at the front door. And as you know, some of our ushers and greeters are very happy to see you every Sunday. What we've discovered is, is that uh, with the pandemic ending, that we need some more people who can greet. And it is one of those opportunities I think is really one amongst the easiest of all the things you can do in volunteer work for the church, because most of you are here already anyway. And if you're online today, probably in the spring, you'll be returning as well. So it's a great opportunity. And that opportunity is very rewarding in of itself. Uh, one of the things you're going to hear today uh, from our Bible lesson is that Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. And one of the ways we can do that is to be part of that greeting that chance to let people know that they are welcome here. And over the years, I've been able to be uh, an usher and greeter. And I can tell you that amongst all those people that have been there, that if you do it long enough, you're going to find somebody from your university alumni schedule. You're going to find people from your hometown and people who have the same interest you do in your hobby. It is rewarding in of itself. And so what do you do if you're interested in in making that step to helping uh, First Church continue its long legacy here? After 325 years, we do celebrate all the saints that went before us, but you can be among those saints that help us keep it going. So all you have to do is see me at some point when you walk in next Sunday or in uh, the fellowship hour, and we can talk about how you can sign up and it's very easy once that takes place because we have new software in the church that will give you reminders and let you pick your schedule working through me. But that's one volunteer uh, opportunity that you have, and Heidi's gonna tell you about another one.
3: Thank you, Michael. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Heidi Artigue. I am currently the person scheduling the fellowship helpers, which is another wonderful way to volunteer with the church. The Fellowship Hour helpers are basically the people who put out the snacks before Fellowship Hour and then take them back into the kitchen, put away the leftovers afterward. It's a very low stress, low pressure job. There's really not a lot of room for error in putting cookies on a plate. But it's a great way to make sure that everyone has the time to have fellowship and see each other after the service. Something I want to stress about both the chance to usher and to help with Fellowship Hour Is that it's very unintimidating you won't be doing it alone we can make sure that if you decide to sign up and try it out we'll put you with someone who's experienced who can show you the ropes you won't just have an empty church that you need to set up all by yourself for service there's also no need to commit long term it would be great if you just came to help with one or two um, coffee hours whenever works for your schedule any amount is both Rewarding for you and make sure that we have good snacks and good times with each other after the service So you've heard of realm you can uh, go on the realm Serving teams or possibly serving roles. I should have written that down Um, To express your interest in being a fellowship helper or you can come talk to me And I will make sure to write down your name and get you all set up. There's no long-term commitment a great way to see the inner workings of the kitchen and how the church functions and uh, make sure that everyone has a really wonderful time. So thank you.
1: Knowing that God will protect us, give us strength and love, while we persist in falling short of God's glory, love, and hope for us. Let us now join together to offer God those times we need Christ's help to be the people and the church we are called to be. Let us pray together and then in a few moments of silence. Eternal God, you have called us, and we are not quite sure what that means. We wonder what it means to follow. What if we fail at our discipleship? What if we encounter others who are not so easy to love? What if the problems of human sin are truly intractable, and the hurt of violence and poverty and disease is endless. These questions and others plague our faith. They threaten to leave us without hope. So we have not lived as though your grace is sufficient for all our needs. Forgive us, we pray. Bring us to that place of childlike trust to which you have called us, that we may once more follow you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The mercy of the Lord is unending, the love of God is all-encompassing, and the peace we share in Christ is fathomless. Knowing this, friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. come to the reading of God's Holy Word is found in Scripture. Our first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness. On them, light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders The rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. This ends the first reading. The second reading is taken from Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no division among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos. Or, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This ends the second reading.
0: parenthetical reference in the Epistle lesson is one of my favorite lines of Scripture because I take great comfort in the fact that even Paul can't remember what he did the day before yesterday sometimes. Our final lesson of Scripture comes to us from Matthew's Gospel. Last week we read John's version of the call of the disciples. This week we get Matthew's take on it. We're in the fourth chapter from the 12th verse to the 23rd. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and on those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their net, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Why am I so hard on fundamentalist preachers? Asked William Sloan Coffin, and he answered because it is right to be stabbed by doubt. Commitment is healthiest where it is not without doubt, but in spite of doubt. It is wrong to be clearer than clarity warrants, to write off intellectual and moral ambiguity simply because we haven't the security to live with uncertainty. It is wrong to require Certitude to the point of blind stupidity, and, he goes on, it is dangerous. If God is like a marine sergeant who has been handed a bunch of hopeless recruits, then those who believe in such a God will become like soldiers, prepared to do almost anything they are told, no matter what, no matter to whom. To me, that is diametrically opposed to Jesus whose central theme was that there is something intrinsically sacred, intrinsically deserving of respect, intrinsically calling for and entitled to love in every human being. Seekers of truth can build communities of love. Possessors of truth have too much enmity toward those who don't possess the truth or who possess some other truth. I start us with this quotation because I want us to ask ourselves what it means to be seekers of truth with respect to the calling that Jesus put before his disciples. In Matthew's Gospel account, that calling extends not merely to the original twelve, but to all of us who carry the name Christian and seek to carry forth the risen Christ in our daily lives to a world that needs to hear his message, to dare even to bring light to those walking in the land of deep darkness. It's no small task to be fishers for people. We know, however, that that is our calling. We are taught it almost from the moment we acknowledge God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Perhaps we grew up singing about it in vacation Bible school. Inevitably, though, the time comes when we cannot provide easy answers to the questions that life poses. Secrets of truth can build communities of love, and that is all well and good, but what about the harder moments? What about when our faith requires something of greater substance from us? What about that moment when an easy answer is awfully satisfying but will not address the issues of life? What about then? We all face such moments. No matter how beatific our Christmas celebrations with soft candlelight, invariably they give way to the systemic realities of gun violence and racial injustice, to the problems of our personal life, pocketbook issues like inflation, and whether or not I have saved enough to last throughout my golden years. And when we face the realities of illness and death, perhaps the questions come more urgently. Is God with me now? Can the love of God overcome even this? Such questions, if they seem unanswered, might even plunge us into the darkness of despair. Isaiah tells us the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those walking in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined, and Matthew repeats it so that we might be very sure of what we are hearing. And I wonder how many of you, I've I've asked this question of you before, but it's relevant regularly, I wonder how many of you grew up hearing that the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and wrath and that the God of the New Testament is the God of grace. Well, what we just heard from Isaiah sure does sound like good news to me. Sounds like the grace of God to me. So having received God's grace, how do we make that good news stick? That's the task of discipleship. If we take Jesus seriously, that we are to be fishers for people, then we all have that call before us to find good news, even in the face of bad news, to deal with what is before us and still be able to share the good news, if not to proclaim it at least to be able to whisper it. Come with me, says Jesus, and I will teach you to fish for people. But how? And when? And in what way? To get at the answers to these questions, let's look at the disciples whom Jesus first called. They didn't know everything they needed to know when they were called. Indeed, we have every reason to believe they had no more than a passing acquaintance with Jesus when they were first called. Nevertheless, they followed. Not perfectly, I might add. Some of the great comic relief of the Bible comes from watching the disciples try to be followers of Jesus Christ. Just last week, I pointed out to you how Jesus asked them what they wanted, and they rather obtusely answered him with the question, where are you staying? What do you want? Where are you staying? These don't seem in any way connected to one another. Then, of course, there are far more serious moments when the disciples seem entirely to have missed the point, or perhaps at times seem deliberately obtuse regarding what Jesus has said. If we want reassurance that even substandard discipleship can yield fruit, look no further than the original twelve. But while you're looking at them, don't get to feeling too judgy, though. Dr. Brian Blunt says he has gotten tired of hearing people ragging on the disciples. Sure, he says, they're incompetent enough, but they are the world champions of Come and Follow. With no more than a call and a conviction, they set out on a dangerous road without their families, not know what lay around not knowing what lay around the bin, no money, no bed, no washing machine, no filling station. And they set out to share the good news of the gospel. And they followed Jesus, and they kept right on following, and they followed beyond the resurrection. And if you want to know the cost of discipleship, find Google what happened to the disciples at the end of their lives. You'll find it. Illuminating. They followed Jesus. They struggled and they engaged the Word made flesh and they sought to be disciples. It's interesting, discipleship. The root word is discipline, discipline to keep following. Discipline to keep questioning. Discipline to keep seeking the truth. Discipline because it doesn't just happen. And it is the sum of our efforts in this direction that constitutes our witness. I'm going to make a confession. For many years, I tended to shy away from the concept of evangelism. You can chalk it up to the fact that I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, during the era of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Do you remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and their very public debacle? Which, of course, was within the larger context of even more scandal in the world of big business church, taken within the context of corrupt televangelism, I wanted nothing to do with the word evangelism. But evangelism is nothing more than sharing good news. God has given us good news. God has given us good news. It is entrusted to us. And what is this good news? There are many different ways we can parse this out. But I wonder if it could be no more complex than that God sees humanity in general and each of us in particular, as being of inestimable value, and that because of that, that life itself is grace. I've always loved the way that Paul Tillich put it. He wrote, we cannot transform our lives unless we allow them to be transformed by that stroke of grace. It happens, or it does not happen. And certainly it does not happen if we try to force it upon ourselves, just as it shall not happen so long as we think in our self-complacency that we have no need of it. Grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness, It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual because we have violated another life, a life which we loved or from which we were estranged. It strikes us when our disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, and our lack of direction and composure have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when, year after year, the longed-for perfection of life does not appear. When old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes, at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness. And it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you, the name of which you do not know. Do not ask for that name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. It is from this place of radical acceptance by God that we are called. Called bring good news. And we don't have to look beyond ourselves to find folks who perhaps have trouble believing that God loves us or as one of our members once recounted a preacher saying we might believe God loves us without being able to believe that God likes us very much. By that, he meant that we can intellectually believe that God loves us in our worst moments as well as our best because that is who God is. That is what God does. But we can't believe that God actually takes delight in us, in our particularity, in our individuality, as God has created us. And if that's the case, my hunch is we have gotten there very honestly. Uh, You all know the contents of your prayer of confession between that corporate moment and when Andrew relieves us with the Kyrie. There are reasons aplenty, perhaps, that we might beat ourselves up and think that that this good news that we hear on Sunday mornings, that we are called to bear forth between the Sundays, is fine news for everybody else but it doesn't extend to us. But that's not the truth. That doesn't reflect a God who wants us, a God who values us, a God who believes that we are useful. It is also not the end of the story. The end of the story, at least according to Matthew, is quite literally these words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I just don't believe that a God who commits to hang out with us in eternity doesn't like us very much. We didn't read those words from the end of Matthew's gospel account this morning. They are the bookend, of course, to to Matthew's narrative. He starts out, just as Luke does, with the birth narratives and with the genealogies, and then before he starts us off with Jesus' teaching and preaching and healing, he plops in this story about the disciples and their decision and their calling to come and to follow Jesus and to be fishers for people. And, And when it is all said and done after the horror of the crucifixion and the joy of the resurrection and the inadequate and betraying disciples uh, discipleship of Jesus followers in between after the resurrection after that moment of ascension comes again this challenge to go and to make disciples of all nations much like being fishers of people now we have expanded it beyond out into the nations meaning this good news of the radical acceptance of God is for everybody to the end of the age That's the promise, that's the covenant that comes with our calling. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, there is no moment when Christ is not with us. Not in the emergency room, not in the operating room, not in the depths of depression and anxiety, not when the mists of dementia descend upon the minds of those whom we love best in this world, not in the ruins of Ukraine, not in the gun violence ridden neighborhoods of our own city and in Southern California. There is no place that God is not with us. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Because when we consider the fullness of what God has promised, and when we relinquish to our best, most human selves, we need to know that we matter to God and to one another. The presence of the risen Christ in our lives, loving us, giving us Hope is the seal of God's love that tells us finally, once more and always, that we are beloved to God, even to the point of death. Now I know that we all hope we don't ever reach the point where we need to hear that exact assurance. I know I don't want to reach that point. But if I do, or if you do, I hope even more there will always be someone who has followed Christ and gone fishing for people who can tell us so.
1: Let us now say what we believe using the words of that ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, we thank you today for your blessings that you bestow upon us all. Today, may we all give with gladness and sincerity. No one ever gives a present to someone with reluctance, and we should never give you what already belongs to you with reluctance either. So bless these tithes and offerings, we pray. Amen. is yours already, so we ask that you will bless to the work of your kingdom these tithes and offerings. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you have called us. You have called us by name. And here we are in your presence. And we long to serve you. Yet we feel we are not acceptable, and that is just the opposite of the way you feel about us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us the way we are. Thank you for all the promises you have made to us, mighty God, creator of the stars and the moon, the oceans and the mountains, and tender God, creator of every tiny baby born into this world, and steadfast God, the one to whom we cling in times of sorrow and struggle, and patient God, the one who waits for our return after we wandered away because our lives are going just fine for a while, we turn to you now because no matter what stage of life we might be experiencing, the fact is that we need you. We need you to draw us to yourself again. We need you to assure us of your love for us and your hand in the world. We need you to break through the darkness to walk with us in struggle, to teach us how to forgive, to let the light of hope peek into our hearts. We need you to remind us of our blessings. We pray for the world around us, for people living in war-torn areas fearing for their lives, civilians and soldiers in Ukraine. We pray that caring and committed nations will stand with the people of Ukraine, helping to supply their needs, whatever they may be. We pray for people whose countries' economies cannot sustain the basic needs of food and security, and for innocent people anywhere affected by government oppression and politics between nations. We continue to pray for the people at our borders, for our own government to work again to provide life And liberty and equality for all we pray for the violence in our streets for all the harm and desecration that guns do when in the hands of young people and others who would do evil with them we pray for the families of the ten people killed in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area. We pray, O Lord, that those who are killed rest in peace now in your heavenly kingdom and that those who are struggling to survive will receive your aid and your love and your blessing of better health so that they can come through their wounds. Thank you for being there in the midst of that darkness in Monterey Park. Loving God, we pray for ourselves, too, and for the people we love, for those in their last days of life, for those who struggle with chronic illness, for those so worried about a loved one they don't know where to turn, for our people who need jobs and income. May your presence with them be palpable. We pray for our parents and our grandparents for our children and our grandchildren. We pray for the children of the world, that they could count on this earth we inhabit to be treated well and sustained for generations to come. We pray, too, that you would show us where forgiveness is needed, whether we need to ask for forgiveness Or be forgiving in any of our attempts lead us to greater understanding of ourselves and others cultivate us for good action thank you dear Lord for your forgiveness and mercy for being a God who shares in the human struggle make us mindful Of our many blessings now hear us as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread
0: So we have been watching the HBO Max series Julia. Uh, It's not for those who don't like a little expletives thrown around. Apparently, Julia had a salty mouth we never knew about. But anyway, at a key moment, I'm not going to spoil it for you, Mr. Rogers appears with his basic message I like you the way you are. And if we encounter someone who has trouble believing, not that God loves them, but that God likes them, the surest way to spread that good news is by liking them ourselves. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.